Hey everybody, this is Kylie Gable. Welcome to another episode of the Feminization Boudoir Podcast. For those of you keeping track at home, I would say my cough is slightly better. I am recording this on Sunday night. I expect the Super Bowl to suck, but with 4 minutes and 32 seconds to go, it is all tied up at 35 to 35. Best Super Bowl I've seen in years, and I know not everybody likes sports ball. My dogs are having their own puppy ball on the couch as they fight for supremacy. The relationship my two dogs have, I always feel, is like a female-led relationship. Or maybe more of a traditional relationship where Chance, the male dog, thinks he's in charge. And he is, as long as Tango is willing to have him be in charge. If she cares about something, she gets her way. And if she doesn't, Chance can pretend to be in charge. She is 18 pounds of muscle. He is 15 pounds of cute. So if she puts her foot down, he will give in. So anyway, speaking of giving in to women... Uh, I am very happy to announce that Shayla has finished the recording for uh, Feminized by the Neighborhood Girls, which is a six-part uh, series, so we will have something brand new next week, but I think this is pretty good, and it ends on a, on a pretty good note with a, with a big 50-plus minute uh, audio. So here you go. Here is Shayla Aspasia reading Feminized by the Neighborhood Girls, part six. Feminized by the Neighborhood Girls, Part 6, written by Kylie Gable and Claudia Acosta, narrated by Shayla Aspasia. The room was thick with the lingering odor of polo and camel cigarettes. Principal Wells was a heavy smoker, and there was no way that he would make it through a school day without at least a brief excursion to flavor country. Fortunately, his secretary, Mrs. Ditwiller, did a pretty good job of keeping out unwanted visitors. Keeping the lingering nicotine smell off the office carpet, fabric cover chairs, or even Mr. Wells himself was a different matter. He paced around all six of us. These were the boys who they had identified as being sissified and tormented by the pact, as they now openly referred to themselves. Somehow they had missed Lyle Herrera and Tim Spire. I just want to make this very clear, said Mr. Wells. Nobody thinks any of you did anything wrong and nobody is blaming you. But we have to get down to the bottom of what happened to you and Mr. Alday, what these girls did. Allegedly did, interrupted Stacy Keith, his 35-year-old assistant principal with less than three years of classroom experience. Mrs. Keith was clearly more of a human resources director than any kind of instructional leader. Of course, nodded Mr. Wells. What these girls have been alleged to have done is quite serious. Adam gave me a look like he wanted to rip me apart with his bare hands at that moment, but he didn't. 
I don't know if it was because the principal was there or because he feared what Tyson would do if she found out. I think you have me here by mistake, said Toby Garrett. I don't know anything. Sit down, Mr. Garrett, said Mr. Wells forcefully. The school district has brought in someone for you to talk to. We want to make sure that you all get the help you need, continued Mrs. Keith. I don't need a shrink, complained Adam. School psychologist, corrected Mrs. Keith. She's quite highly recommended. We were only given about 45 minutes apiece to meet with the psychologist. But even with such short appointments, I missed all my morning classes and lunch. The administration was obviously very nervous about the rumors of a female sex cult feminizing boys and making them take birth control pills that had been making the rounds because Mr. Wells had actually given up his own office to let the psychologists interview us. Dr. Murphy was a young woman with a tight black bun hairstyle and a well-tailored black suit with massive shoulder pads. Despite her corporate barracuda appearance, she had a sympathetic bearing that made you think that she actually was listening to you. Hi, David, she introduced herself. I'm Dr. Murphy, and I'm here to ask you a few questions. Please have a seat. I really don't think I have much information to share, I said. I don't know what anyone's actually talking about. David, I can see your bra straps underneath your shirt. Please don't lie to me. Well, I... I began to stutter. I'm not interrogating you. I really am here to help. If you don't have anything to say, that's fine. But I need to ask you some questions anyway. It's my job, you know. Okay, I sighed. Ask away, I guess. Excellent, she said. Start by telling me how you know Cindy and Janice Sutherland. They live across the street from me. Okay, that's good to know, she said. How do you get along with them? I guess I'd say we're friends. Now, according to your teachers, when they first moved in, you were very hostile to Cindy. How did that change? I guess I got to know her better, I lied. Did you meet the other girls through them? What other girls? I asked. Priscilla, Matilda, and Lisa, she continued. Oh, yes, they're friends with Cindy and Jana. The hell she wasn't there to interrogate me. I felt a bead of sweat trickling down the left side of my face. How long have you been wearing women's underwear? She asked. That's sort of personal. She frowned at me and then caught herself a change in tactics. Is wearing girls' clothes your choice? Is anything really a choice, I asked. I mean, according to Freud, everything is determined by... I'm not a Freudian. I don't believe that, she said. You're sharp. I like that. I got a C in my psychology class, I said. I only took it because business law was full. I used to like elective, she said. Listen, if you're doing it because you like it, make sure... That they leave you alone. But if you're being forced to do something against your will, then we need to stop it. It's sexual assault, even if it's not quite rape. No offense, doctor, but I'm a better judge of that, I said. Oh, 
So, have you wondered if it's rape too? No, but I've thought about some of these things a lot. They're not doing anything to me that I really mind, I said. Now, that does surprise me, she said. I hate shaving my legs. Doesn't that bother you at all? I'm still only 18. I'm just not that hairy, I replied. Several other boys told me what was done to them was quite traumatic, she said. They're idiots and assholes, I said. Well, see, this is good, she replied. I want to get to the bottom of this. Can you please share the girl's side with me? I'm a feminist, and I was a high school girl once. I know what pigs boys can be at your age, present company excluded. Tell me why they're not to blame for this. You don't really want to hear that, I said. Trust me, she said. Well, for starters, the guy started it, I said. Even you? Yes, even me. I think I probably deserved what they did to me. I know those other boys did. I don't see how you can possibly say that you all needed to be cross-dressed against your will, said Dr. Murphy. Then you really don't know 18-year-old boys very well, I replied. One of your classmates was locked in a chastity cage. I hardly see that as a justified, no matter what wrong you may perceived him to have committed. It didn't hurt him, did it? Well, that's beside the point, said Dr. Murphy. The girls didn't force anything on us that we didn't deserve. So are you admitting they forced it on you? I didn't say that, I replied. Oh, but you did, she said. I've also got some very interesting pictures of you. I'd be curious what your parents would think of them. Nice move you just made to blackmail there, I said. Is that what you think this is? I'm going back to class, I said, unless you'd like my parents' phone number. We're not done, she said, as I got up out of my seat and walked out of the room. As I got to the outer office, I could see that they rounded up the girls and were going to talk to them next. I took a seat and tried to communicate with them with my eyes. But what I wanted to convey, that I had supported them, when I was pressed, was just too complicated. Instead, I just gave them a thumbs up sign. I could hear something sitting in the outer office, but I learned a lot about what happened from Lisa and Cindy. The girls were all called in to see Dr. Murphy one at a time where she explained unhealthy sexual fetishes to them and how they could spread between a group of close friends. She told them that with some extensive counseling, they could all learn to have healthy and satisfying sex lives as adults. Every one of the girls replied to this approach differently. While Tyson more or less told her to shove it up her ass, Lisa tried to reasonably and calmly debate the treatment of the girls in the male-dominated rape culture of the modern American high school. Dr. Murphy, exasperated at these interviews, told the principal that they were not ready for treatment. He took it as a green light to throw the book at them. Your reign of terror is about to come to an end, said Principal Wells. What you've been doing to the boys in the school is deviant, and the fact that you tried to pull a respected member of the faculty into this aberrant. 
What about what those boys did to us? asked Jana. They're not the ones being investigated. Well, maybe they should be, chimed in Lisa. Sexual harassment is a serious issue. Sexual harassments? Since the Clarence Thomas hearing, do you know how many times I've heard those words? And just how many times have you done anything about it? asked Jana. You may well want to think about crossing that line, young lady, when I told your entire future in my hands, barked Principal Wells. What about assault? asked Matilda. And child molestation, chimed in Cindy. Those are serious allegations, and if there's anything you want investigated, I will be happy to do that. Separate from your own crimes, of course. Crimes? What crimes are those? asked Jana. Forcibly cross-dressing and abducting boys could be considered sexual assault and kidnapping. Well, I don't see the police here, so I assume you think those words are overblown as we do. I'm trying to handle it quietly as to not ruin your future. You mean minimize the scandal, said Lisa. Well, if you want to talk about scandal, what do you think this could do to your father's political career if I went to the police, asked Principal Wells. Lisa said that when he mentioned her father, she felt sick to her stomach. Somehow it never had occurred to her that what she had done could impact him. So what do you want, asked Cindy. We're going to start with a two-week detention. Then you're all going to sexual addiction counseling program. In addition, if I catch you doing this there, will be automatic expulsions for all of you. Is that clear? This is bullshit, exclaimed Tyson. You will watch your mouth in this office, young lady, insisted the principal. He had the power now. He didn't need to raise his voice. The girls filed out of the principal's office slowly, but when they saw some of us boys still in the office trying to eavesdrop on their conference with the principal, Tyson took two quick steps towards Adam just to watch him flinch. If Principal Wells thought that suspending the girls for two weeks would settle things once and for all, he had another thing coming. When the girls were blocked from attending class or participating in time-consuming extracurricular activities, they had more, not less time and trouble. The first thing they did was to find out everything they could about Tom Davenport. Everybody knew who Tom was. His family was important because they owned the town's biggest bank, and his mom was on the school board. Coach Alday had taken Tom under his wing when he was just an awkward freshman. And though it became apparent that Alday had bought alcohol for him and done other things that violated the law and school policy, Tom couldn't believe that Mr. Alday had done any of the horrible things he had been accused of. Tom was good friends with Adam, and he had learned a lot about what the girls were doing from him. He had also seen the pictures that were now circulating of me. I was going to have to come clean with the girls about those photos sooner rather than later. Any poll that Lisa might have in her city councilman father was checked and mated by Tom's family's bank and his mom position on the school board. 
The first confrontation with Tom came the second day of the suspension. The girls got bored, and around three they took a ride by Tom's place. They took me with, as Tyson's truck easily fit six of us, and they were starting to starve for gossip about what had happened at school in their absence. I thought Lisa had a nice place, said Jana. Yeah, these are some pricey homes, agreed Matilda. I think you need to take a left at the intersection. He should be on the right side of the next block, said Lisa. This was the old days of navigating without a cell phone. When Tyson made the turn, Matilda immediately noticed Adam. He was standing under an elm tree and talking to somebody who wasn't immediately visible. There's Adam, said Matilda. I bet Tom's with him. We should panty check him, said Jana. Do you really want that kind of trouble? asked Jana. Tyson looked around from the front seat to glare at me. They were well past caution. The truck screeched to a halt about 18 inches from where Adam was. I hope you have your panties and stockings on, Eve, shouted Cindy from the back seat. Fuck off, said Adam. I had seen Tom come around, and as he emerged from the other side of the tree, I wondered if he knew just what a hornet's nest he had kicked. He was a tall boy standing at at least six foot three with wavy blonde hair. There wasn't an ounce of fat on him and he possessed piercing blue eyes that I'd heard several girls mention in passing. He had the charming arrogance of a Kennedy and I hated him for it. You want to move that piece of crap truck, said Tom. You don't want them impounding it. I don't think you're a good influence on our Eve, said Matilda. A few days with you, and he's already acting like a bitch. Everybody knew that Tom loved his Corvette. Of course, it was red, and he loved to drive it way too fast. There was no way to really respond verbally to his attack on Tyson's truck. Jana found another way to respond. Tyson's father always kept a multi-tool in the glove compartment for emergencies. This was like a Swiss army knife for mechanics. It was a plier, knife, and wrench in one, and as Jana hurled it out of the car window, it struck the passenger door with a surprising amount of force. It left about a really ugly dent with a four-inch scrape along the paint. What the fuck did you just do? he yelled in terror. Sorry, Tom. I didn't have any spray paint, bitch, said Jana coldly. Tom ran to the trunk of his car and grabbed a baseball bat. Tyson and Jana would have fought him right there, but Tyson didn't want to bring home the truck with a dent in it, so she sped off. Adam and Tom piled into the Corvette and were in hot pursuit. Shit, they're after us, observed Melanie, staring out the back window. Well, I can't exactly outrun a Corvette with this old truck, said Tyson. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have thrown that thing, said Jana. It's okay. What are we going to do about these guys, asked Tyson. The Corvette was already close enough to tailgate. As I nervously eyed them inches away from the back bumper, I saw Cindy flipping them off with a gesture that would make any truck driver proud. 
I know we can't outrun them, said Lisa, but what can they do exactly? What do you mean? asked Melanie. They can't do a lot. No, think about it. They can't run us off the road, and if they had collided with this huge truck, it's going to do a lot more than scrape their paint job. Yeah, you're right, said Tyson, slamming the brakes. Tom hit the brakes, but he was too close. He swerved left and scratched the passenger side of his car on the bumper of the truck. The Corvette then jumped the curb and hit a large oak tree. By the time the contact was made, the Corvette had reduced speed considerably, but that was going to leave a pretty substantial ding in the body. Even though the windows were rolled up, I could hear Tom and Adam cussing out the girls as the truck drove down the street at 30 miles per hour. Over the course of the next week, rocks were thrown through windows, tires were slashed, and mailboxes were lit on fire. Tom, Adam, and their friends would never let this rest. They had targeted every single one of the girls, and it was all the others who do to stop Jana and Tyson from hitting them back just as hard. We were all in Jana and Cindy's basement one night as the girls were discussing their options. They had heard that the following week, Tom Davenport's mom would be pushing the school board to expel them from school. Our moms will be so pissed, said Cindy. We don't even have that long until graduation. It's going to totally suck having to transfer again this year. I understand that you have to go to an alternative school, said Lisa, making use of air quotes. It's like juvenile detention without the bars. It can't be all that bad, can it? I asked. Afraid so, said Lisa. It's not the sort of thing you want on your permanent record. My old man won't care, said Tyson. It's not like he cares about much anyway. I wish we could just kick those guys' asses, said Tyson. Why can't we, asked Matilda. Seriously, asked Lisa. We'd be in so much trouble. With who? The school that's expelling us, replied Matilda. She's got a point, said Cindy. And what would that prove, asked Lisa. Why does an ass-kicking have to prove anything? asked Tyson. Couldn't we just do it because those two bitches really have it coming to them? So you want to kick the shit out of them because they deserve it, I asked rhetorically. Makes sense to me. I can't think of a better reason, said Jana. I can, replied Lisa. Why am I not surprised, said Cindy. What if I promised you that you'd still get to kick their asses? Okay, Lisa, now you have my attention, said Tyson. Good, smiled Lisa. I think I may have a way out of this, but it'll have to wait until tomorrow. We can be patient, said Jana. The plan that Lisa laid out was either brilliant or insane, and I couldn't figure out which. If freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose, we're going to take full advantage of that freedom. The next day, we were waiting in my sister Christine's car, right next to where Tom had parked his beat-up Corvette. Christine had an old Ford Taurus that was clearly an old man's car, but it got her to work. It had the advantage of not being known to Tom or Adam, and it had a trunk big enough for our purposes. Tyson was very knowledgeable about cars and had done a little research to find out that this model of Corvette was surprisingly easy to steal. She managed to get the hood unlocked and detach the distributor cap. 
After school let out, we waited for Tom to arrive. Waiting sucked, but it also meant that the parking lot would be nearly empty by the time he got there. When Tom saw us all jump out of the car to rush him, he raced to the door and tried to stick his key in the lock. Tyson had very wickedly put about five steps of scotch tape over the lock. It wouldn't keep him out for long, but by the time he figured it out, Jana and Tyson were already grabbing his arms. I was a bit surprised to see Lisa getting in Tom's face. She had a coil of rope and Tom was going to be hogtied whether he liked it or not. In fact, she very much hoped he had hated it as much as she thought he would. With Jana and Tyson bending him over the hood of his car and twisting his arms behind his back, Lisa had him restrained in short order. Meanwhile, Cindy and I had shoved a pair of panties into his mouth and used duct tapes to secure them in place. Silenced and hogtied, he was soon unceremoniously stuffed into the trunk of the Taurus. I wish I had been there to see how Matilda and Christine had taken down Adam. I only know what they told me. Christine and her friend from the mall, Jen, had police uniforms from the previous year's Halloween. They weren't those sexy cop uniforms, though. They looked a lot like the real thing. I imagine when they showed up at the door, accompanied by Matilda, Adam must have been scared half to death. The plan was that they would tell him Matilda had filed a complaint that he had abused her, and they were investigating. We thought two female police officers might be stretching credibility, but then again Adam was neither smart nor particularly observant. I can only imagine Adam going out with Christine, Jen, and Matilda to Jen's car with Adam in handcuffs. How she was able to convince him that her Mazda was a police car was beyond me, but Adam didn't realize that he wasn't really under arrest until the car arrived at the mall. By then, it was too late to do much about it. It was just after five o'clock and the mall would be open for another four hours, but that wouldn't affect our plan. No sooner had Lisa asked Christine for help than my eldest sister gave her all sorts of good ideas. A new boutique clothing store called Lifestyle was opening next week in the space that had been abandoned by a shuttered orange Julius. For the last month, workmen had been converting the inside of the shop before finally completing their work three days ago. The shop was complete, but not open for a few days. One of their first hires was a former co-worker of Jen and Christine's named Donna, who would be the shop's manager. With Donna's permission, we used the empty shop for our base of operations. Lisa had thought of everything, even down to getting a couple of barber-style chairs to set up the shop for today's festivities. We had just restrained Tom to one of the chairs completely naked when Adam was brought in, already in handcuffs. He was rather easy to control. Soon the two boys were naked and sitting next to each other, helplessly restrained in the barber-style chairs. You are already in big fucking trouble. You better let us go right now, demanded Adam. Matilda had a big, angelic smile on her face as she walked over to her ex-boyfriend. 
She calmly waited for him to shout at her, and as he did, she removed a black leather dildo-shaped gag from her purse. I don't think Adam knew she had that any more than I did. But soon it was jammed into his mouth and fastened behind his head. I think I like this new side of you, said Jana. With both boys gagged, it was much easier to do what we had to do next. Speaking as the victim in a couple of these cases, there are some very simple rules to feminizing a guy who doesn't want to be girlied. First, always have more feminizers than feminizees. We accomplished that. Between myself, the five girls, and added reinforcements of Jen and Christine, we outnumbered Adam and Tom by four to one margin. Donna didn't want her hands dirty, so we all respected that. The other rule was to only untie his wrist when his ankles were bound and to only untie his ankles when his wrists were bound. Since Adam was already hairless, the girls concentrated on Tom. With his hands bound, he wouldn't be a match for that many bound and determined women. Wow, so that was Shayla Aspasia finishing off strongly part six of Feminized by the Neighborhood Girls. If you are listening to the premium podcast, you heard the whole thing. If not, yeah, missed about the last 25 minutes or so. Um, I really, really recommend if you are in the habit of purchasing audios that you give the uh, premium podcast a, a shot just because for 15 bucks, you're pretty much getting a new audio every single, every single week. And that adds up pretty quickly. And plus, you get all the old audios too. So, um, I think I've got maybe seven full audios already and more than one added most weeks right now. I really want to put all the parts of Feminized by the Neighborhood Girls up in their entirety as soon as possible. And already the last couple episodes are, are up complete. So it's just a great chance to, to listen to more audios without having to, you know, buy every single new audio if you want to hear the whole thing. Regardless, love to have you here. And uh, I will be back next week. And at that time, I hope you will be too. Have a great week. Hopefully my cold will be gone by next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>